Hello and welcome to the Sam Knows Podcast. I'm Barry Collins. It might now seem like a lifetime has passed, but only two and a half years ago, the world was listening to its leaders make unprecedented statements like these. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. To keep new cases from entering our shores, we will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. Our plan is simple. We can stop the spread by staying at home and reducing contact. The debate over whether the pandemic is over is for others, but there's no doubt its effects are still being felt. Hybrid working has become mainstream, as even the world's biggest companies struggle to coax staff back into offices long after lockdowns were lifted. That has huge consequences for businesses, employees and the broadband industry. Home connections have new demands placed on them. Reliability is everything. The speed of the connection is no longer the primary concern of consumers. In this podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Jane Parry, Associate Professor in Work and Employment at the University of Southampton's Business School. Dr. Parry has been studying the impact of working from home during the global pandemic and what it means for the future of work. I'll also be joined by Sam Knows Product Marketing Manager, Sophie Gordon, who will be talking about how the broadband industry reacted during the pandemic and how the industry must move past its fixation with download speeds in the future. First, I started by asking Dr. Parry how the mindset of office-based employees has changed since the start of the pandemic. So one of the really interesting things about doing the work after lockdown research and following organisations through the 18 months of the pandemic, watching how they were coping with change and uncertainty, was that there was enough time for people to get really good at working in a different way and to develop good practice around it. So there's been this permanent mindset shift among the UK's formerly office-based workers who are now seeing the inefficiencies of working fixed nine to five hours in a single workplace, when Mm -hmm. there are evidently these multiple possibilities for how we can organise work to be more effective. So that's why we called our second report, No Going Back. And one of our participants summed it up by saying, the grand experiment that nobody wanted has worked. (laughs) So it's important to recognise that for the most part, people don't want a permanent shift into working from home. What they want is to draw on the benefits of a better balance between office time and uninterrupted working at home. So people did very much miss the sociability and the collaboration of offices, but there's been a shift in their default position. They don't want to be going into the office every single day and neither they nor their managers think that this is now an efficient way of working. That wasn't the case at the beginning of the pandemic though, when many workers were clamouring to get back to the office. So what changed? That could be seen really clearly in our research because we were measuring well-being throughout using the World Health Organization 5 index. Mm -hmm. So in lockdown one, it dropped to 47, which is well below average. So people were really feeling it, particularly people with caring responsibilities and managers. But a year later, it had risen again to 68. So that kind of reflects how we'd got used to a different kind of more normalized working from home, plus organizations had got better at supporting it. You also have these variations about how people want to work in the future. So while we have this trend of a growing support for hybrid over the course of the pandemic, young people in particular are likely to want a bit more opportunity to come into offices and 
families are more likely to request working from home. You have naturally differences around people's access to space. So where people have their own homes and spaces for working, they've adapted better. But people who are living in more temporary or overcrowded spaces find it less suitable to be at home all the time to do their work. Mm-hmm. So importantly, although hybrid is the focus now, only 18% of people are at the kind of extreme end of that are wanting to work from home all of the time. So the working population may have embraced hybrid working now, but that's not to say there weren't teething problems. I asked Sophie Gordon about her experience those early days of working from home during the first lockdown. I think there are a number of things um, that were brought to light um, through the pandemic. The the reliance on broadband um, was was never so great. I think with many people working from home and, and children having to homeschool, people were really dependent on their broadband and having it support various different apps all working at the same time. From my personal experience, we had um, in our household four people trying to access video call apps all at the same time, of which our broadband couldn't always support that. So Mm -hmm. oftentimes me and my husband would have to rearrange our calls so that the kids could attend uh, their online classes. I think the other thing is that these working apps... um, people were getting frustrated with the the performance and the experience they were receiving. And when you're working, you really need that reliable experience. You don't need to be on a call with senior people and for your broadband to drop out or for your face to freeze on the screen. Um, That's not what you need. You need that reliable experience. And I think what we at Sam Knows found is that people were looking at speed to understand the performance of such apps, but actually speed isn't the thing that impacts the experience. It is, in fact, packet loss and latency. So mm-hmm. our technology team at Samno spent a lot of time um, collecting data on various different video conferencing call apps and um, pulling together that that data to show consumers that um, you need to be looking at different metrics to really understand the, the performance of such apps. And I think that really brought to light um, the, that speed isn't everything. It is actually other components that you need to, to factor in to understand good broadband experience. Yet despite these problems with video conferencing apps and others that many people experienced in the first lockdown, ISPs were keen to insist it was business as normal, sharing graphs showing average download speeds of barely dip, for example. But that didn't really present the full picture, did it? No, absolutely not. Um, I think as we've just talked about, speed isn't the thing that gives you or isn't the only thing that gives um, people a really good broadband experience. There are a number of factors that play into that. And with consumers using um, broadband for not only entertainment, but for working purposes, there was an absolute need to really understand what gives you that good experience. And I think ISPs were almost leaving consumers confused as to why they weren't experiencing a better broadband experience um, by only talking about the download speed or potentially the upload speed, but leaving out all of the other components. So I think many consumers were left frustrated as their ISPs weren't really helping them understand better their broadband experience. And as a result, were potentially looking to upgrade their broadband for a faster speed or even switch to another provider but really all based on the wrong information. Even with all the challenges of those early lockdowns, businesses didn't collapse when their staff were suddenly thrust into homeworking. In fact, many saw a productivity increase, as Dr Parry explains. 
Yeah, I mean, one of the perhaps more surprising aspects of the pandemic, given that it was this situation of sudden change and there was relatively little time for organisations to prepare, was that, that we didn't see this huge drop in productivity that we might have anticipated. Indeed, in our research, we found that over two thirds of people felt they were getting as much or more done remotely as in offices. And that self-report actually increased over time and it's higher in many other studies. So people were getting better at working from home. Our employers very much agreed with that analysis. So it's clear that that's not just staff over-exaggerating over how good they are at working from home. So I think there's a number of things going on here. First of all, during the pandemic, managers started to manage differently. So driven by the need to get people working as effectively as possible, they got to know more about their employees' circumstances. So for example, if they were living in shared or noisy accommodation, if they were supporting children with online learning or if they were caring for a shielding relative, they, they got to know that and they were able to adjust their working patterns accordingly. So flexible work became a really key tool to manage in the pandemic. Allied to that, managers started to think more seriously about how to measure productivity around outcomes rather than presenteeism, which undoubtedly is a more effective method, but which was still relatively underutilised by organisations. On an individual level too, performing their jobs unobserved for perhaps the first time, people took more ownership of their jobs. Out of necessity, they became used to performing their jobs on their own terms, often alongside really challenging circumstances. And correspondingly, they got better at prioritising what the key aspects of their work were, organising their time around this, and that in turn created a kind of enhanced sense of pride in their work. Connected to, to the unusual circumstances of the pandemic, people were very much invested in playing their part in getting their companies through this period of massive disruption. It was very clear that people were working much longer hours than usual. So you might you know, naturally expect that to pay off in productivity. They yeah. were investing a lot of their commuting time in their work. It's difficult to estimate to the extent to which the kind of buzz of office life, while it enhances collaboration, can also disrupt focused working. So that's something we can look at more as we move into hybrid working and curate different kinds of working in offices and, and home accordingly. Time and again, managers talk to us about teams pulling together and investing a phenomenal amount of energy in making a success out of the situation. So, of course, the challenge now is holding on to that goodwill and maintaining productivity in a working environment that's changing once again. It wasn't only productivity that increased during the pandemic. The level of trust between managers and their remote working teams increased too. The organisational recognition that flexible working hours were really necessary to make a success out of lockdown working created a new climate of trust and what many managers considered to be a more mature working attitude. Managers repeatedly told us that when staff felt valued and trusted, they rose to the challenge and performed beyond expectations. People became then more autonomous workers and teams changed and became more self-supporting as colleagues learnt about each other's circumstances through the windows of Zoom and Teams and adapted around this to provide a more supportive working climate. And teams of, of staff pivoted to connect across a range of platforms to reflect different kinds of communication. So with hybrid working now seemingly set to stay, companies are going to have to think very carefully about how they manage their workspaces both traditional offices and the homework environments, according to Dr. Parry. Organisations need to think about how space is utilised differently if they want to make the most of office-based collaboration. So getting people together at the most useful times in work cycles and ensuring you don't get peaks and troughs around office use so you don't get everyone in on Tuesday to Thursday, for example. Mm -hmm. 
There's going to need to be collaborative meeting spaces, but critically to more kind of unstructured spaces, the places you can chat after meetings while making coffee or lunch around the printer. People need to be given permission that they can use time in these more ad hoc ways because it's become clear that those kind of unplanned conversations are really key in gaining organisational knowledge and in relationship building. There's going to need to be well-equipped hybrid working spaces, but also some focused workspace. So we need to recognise that some people always will need some quiet space. Some people's home workspaces are less adaptable to working from home. So they will continue to need more use of this kind of space in, in workplaces. But largely, it seems we're moving away from the kind of cellular offices towards spaces that are shared by teams. Mm -hmm. Now, that could be a disruptive change that needs careful handling. Some people, not least senior managers, will be very attached to their offices and the symbolism of these. So the really critical challenge is to make offices attractive workspaces where people want to come and to be based for some of their work and to come to work energised. So setting expectations at a realistic level will be a challenge and curating when staff should be in offices so that people come together at the useful times and appreciate the decisions that have been, been taken. There needs to be, too, a recognition that some employees will benefit more from flexibility over their working hours, for example, people with caring commitments, whereas others might prefer to be based in offices relatively more often. We found that was particularly the case for younger people, new starters and employees who are missing workplace connections. On a practical level, for managers, maintaining team dynamics is a challenge that is going to require more deliberate management particularly as we get through the kind of relative stasis of the pandemic and there's more and more turnover of staff. So obviously more people moving in to and out of organisations. So partly too, this will be about giving teams the time and the space to build those relationships amongst themselves, as well as the kind of deliberate management of those. So there can't be one single magic bullet. Hybrid working is about programming a spectrum of working practice into job design. Naturally, some managers will be resistant to this since the set of tools they previously relied on won't be sufficient anymore, but mm -hmm. it also brings much bigger gains for managing diverse workforces and ultimately productivity. And Nick Bloom, who's at Stanford University, he's been the kind of um, the expert on this for many years. He has these huge data sets. He predicts there's going to be productivity gains from working from home of about 2.7%. A big concern for employers will naturally be holding on to their knowledge workers who have proved to be the most adaptable to working from home. So listening to the mood around working from home and what people want is going to be key as they develop these new hybrid working models in holding on to their knowledge workers. So they need to be factoring into their policy on flexible work, how they're, how they're perceived as an employer, but also how they stand to gain from a wider talent pool by using flexible work in a more intelligent way. It's not only physical workspaces that must adapt to hybrid working, but working practices too, especially when it comes to bridging the gap between those employees who are in the office and those who are working remotely. So while these tools for digital collaboration that most organisations only really discovered during lockdown have opened up access to a much broader range of participation and they've made meetings across organisations and across international barriers much easier, it's also true that we're now going to need to relearn them under hybrid rules. 
that will be different again. And you're right, it could create new levels of inequalities if it's not handled well. So this will be where it's vital to get the technology right and to develop really robust protocols around good practice, which are understood and enforced so that we don't lose this accessibility. And crucially too, so that remote workers don't experience career penalties. Mm -hmm. Now we've seen that Teams and Zoom meetings improved team relationships in a number of ways during the pandemic, something which we perhaps wouldn't have anticipated. But many of our interviewees were talking to us about how communications became much more regular, much more varied within their teams as people got used to using the platforms more flexibly. They also critically learned much more about their colleagues' lives during the unusual circumstances of lockdown one, when children were at home, people still fairly infrequently used backdrops and correspondingly, colleagues got more flexible about working around each other's different commitments, though more empathetic about them. But of course, Zoom fatigue was very much a thin and all the more so for senior managers who found finding themselves booked back to back in an unsustainable way. So they were, there were you know, good practices that needed to be implemented there. Yeah. What we did see over the course of our research was that people got much better about using these platforms. They started to vary meeting lengths, sharing well-structured agendas so people could participate just for specific items, and they got used to sharing and storing documentation around the platforms. Now, those platform, those practices will need to adapt and be refined as meetings become more hybrid. For example, there will need to be equitable rules about participation to ensure that the remote voices don't get drowned out. Mm -hmm. A number of managers in the kind of early period of experimentation with more mixed forms of working um, around hybrid meetings were already saying that one of the big learners was that everyone needs to dial in individually to ensure you don't get a kind of communication gap that, that squeezes the evident gains we've seen around this kind of cognitive diversity in decision-making that we saw from those remote forms during the pandemic. One thing companies must guard against with hybrid working is creating new barriers, especially when it comes to broadband access. For example, not penalising staff who might be on a slower connection than colleagues. Does this mean that premium fibre ball bands might even become an expected part of an employee's package? You're right. We've learnt from the pandemic that having a robust digital infrastructure is really key to effective remote, but also to hybrid working. But how much organisations will be able to invest in this will, of course, be variable. Some of our case study firms were local authorities who had a much smaller budget than the professional service companies we were we were speaking to. Uh -huh. And we typically saw more older and affluent people effectively subsidising organisations by investing in making their own homeworking spaces more effective. But of course, with that, there comes the risk of a social gradient developing around people's work capacities. Clearly, organisations need to invest in ensuring that all new starts are able to work efficiently across a range of locations. There's going to be geographical variations here. For example, rural areas are less likely to have high quality broadband. And about six months into the pandemic, when we questioned people, about a quarter were still having challenges with their internet connection and Wi-Fi at home. So this points to a clear gap where employers could do more to support their staff. Now, there was a recent House of Lords COVID-19 committee report um, beyond digital planning for a hybrid world, and that positioned home broadband as an essential utility. It called upon the government to make access to digital infrastructure and the internet a legal right. Mm -hmm. We might expect issues around the cost of digital connection to come to the form more in the coming months as the cost of living crisis deepens and people have to make much more tightly costed decisions about where and how they work. In a tight labour market and where 11% of UK households have no internet access, 
Recruitment is increasingly through digital channels. Employers are going to start to experience even more difficulties recruiting talent unless we tackle the UK's digital inequalities. And a further risk of inaction here is groups such is that groups such as the unemployed, older and low-income populations will be left behind in the labour market. So I think it's a combination of employers and government working together on this to tackle digital inequalities. So with staff increasingly working from home, the reliability of the domestic broadband connection is going to be thrown into ever sharper focus. But broadband is still largely marketed on speed, not reliability. Have we reached a point where connections are fast enough for consumers and the industry needs to think afresh? Here's Sophie Gordon. Yes, I think we are pretty much there. I think when you look at the speeds that most people need, they don't need those crazy fast speeds. Unless you're in a household where you've got uh, multiple people living and they're all streaming in 4K at the same time or they're all heavy gamers, you don't need one gig speed. 100 megs can be sufficient for most people. Mm-hmm. And I think we're at the point now where majority of ISPs offer those those really fast speeds. So there's nothing really to differentiate between them. So I absolutely think we've got to that point where we need to be thinking about other things and thinking about the consumer's needs um, to really have successful advertising out there. We've started seeing broadband providers offer services such as 5G backup and whole home Wi-Fi coverage over the past couple of years, facilities that would appeal greatly to people working from home. I asked Sophie whether she thinks we're going to see even more of that. Yes, and I really hope we do as well, because I think this shows us that we're starting to listen to what people um, need and want and how they use their broadband. Um, And I think that's going to make ISPs more successful in growing their customer base and retaining their customer base. I think the other thing to think about from an advertising point of view is that it's always important to have something that differentiates you from your competitors. So having something that really makes you stand apart from the crowd in a cluttered market will really help them grow. I think what interests me as well is that we're now starting to listen to those customers' needs more and more and that 5G full backup really reflects the fact that people want that always-on connection and the Wi-Fi guarantees that are out there in the market recently as well I think really show that it's not about having good broadband in one room, it's about having good broadband around the whole home. So Mm -hmm. it really encourages me that we're actually now listening to what consumers want and um, meeting their sort of expectations and their needs as well. Might we also see broadband providers start to tailor packages to different types of customer rather than merely relying on speed tiers? Yes, I think if ISPs really want to succeed, then they need to start talking differently. It isn't just about speed. Most people don't need those um, speeds, at least not at the moment anyway. So I think it's talking to them in a way that resonates with uh, how they use their broadband. So for some households, it could be all around streaming and the experience that you need to have that great streaming um, experience at home. Or for other households, it might all be about gaming. And for other households, it might be just about browsing or shopping online. So I really hope that ISPs uh, flip how they talk to consumers and and meet their customer needs, because I think that's going to really put them in, uh, in a good light for um, succeeding in the future. The broadband industry must adapt to the change in employment landscape, focusing more on the reliability and whole home coverage that remote workers crave, because, as Dr Parry notes, there's no going back when an overwhelming majority of employees want hybrid working. 
it's going to be virtually impossible to transform a 97% shift in employee thinking and employers are not going to want to lose their most valuable staff. It was very common amongst employers to say that the main question they're now hearing in interviews is what's the flexible work offer here? Mm -hmm. So they need to get really good at responding to that if they're going to follow the talent and, and keep the best people in their organizations. Of course, there are variations. Some people will want more office presence, others less. So there's going to be some degree of employer-employee matching around this. But more broadly, if organisations are going to retain diverse workforces, then yes, hybrid has to be here to stay. That's it for this episode of the Sam Knows podcast. Make sure to visit samknows.com forward slash spotlight to read the article that accompanies this podcast and to read the first part of this three-part series on speed. Until next time, goodbye.